Do you like true crime mixed with dark humor, angry rants, and hot takes? Then why aren't you listening to Fatal Tales? I'm Katie. I'm Azra. And we cover all sorts of true crime cases, as well as weird, evil, and downright fatal stories in our Tiny Tales episodes. If all that sounds great to you, make sure to listen to Fatal Tales wherever you get your podcasts. And remember, be gay and don't do crimes. Or at least, don't get caught. The Stuff of Night. Hey, what's happening, everybody? My name is Rick, and I'll be your guide on this little journey to get your true crime and paranormal fix. We'll be talking about everything from monsters in the closets to monsters next door. So make sure you keep an eye on your neighbor, you look under your bed, you check your closets, because the stuff of nightmares starts now. Warning. This episode may contain graphic descriptions of violence that some people may find disturbing. Listener discretion is advised. For decades, people have been going to carnivals, fairs, and amusement parks as a source of family fun and good food. There's something about the aura of the Midway that sends our memories back to when we were kids. From the smell of all the different foods and the blinking lights everywhere, to the games, rides, and sideshow attractions, there's a little bit of something for everyone. But aside from all the fun and happiness that these places bring us, they also have a dark side. The games are not really games of chance, but more games of luck. They're designed for you to lose, with very few actually winning anything without dropping a bunch of money into it. The rides, especially the ones on the traveling fair or carnival, They're set up in hours and have been known to be less than safe. And the food? Well, even though it's the best part of these attractions, is actually the worst things to put in your body. Then there are the really dark things that happen over the years at some of these places. Like the time the $6 million man TV show was filming in a funhouse in Long Beach, California. A worker moved a prop of a hanging man when the arm broke off the dummy revealing human bones. The prop was actually of a man that died in a shootout while robbing a train in the early 1900s. The mortician who embalmed the body set him up in a corner of his shop and charged people to see him. A few years went by and a couple sideshow promoters posed as his brothers and took possession of the body. They put him on display in their traveling carnival until it changed owners with another carnival. It was then lent to a movie director who used it as a display in the lobby of movie theaters to promote his movie. After the carnival owner's death, it was sent to a warehouse in Los Angeles. It changed hands a few times after and finally ended up in the Pike Amusement Park's Laugh in the Dark Funhouse. Then, there is the Lake Shawnee Amusement Park in West Virginia. The land that the amusement park was built on has a dark history of its own. In the late 1700s, Mitchell Clay bought some land around Lake Shawnee. He built a house and turned it into farmland. Unfortunately, The land that was bought was the same land that Native American tribes have been using for centuries. In 1783, when Mitchell left his children home alone to go hunting, a group of Native Americans killed two of his sons and took a third one captive before burning him alive at the stake. Mitchell gathered a group of other settlers and went after the tribe, capturing and killing several Native Americans. Many believe the blood spilled on the land has cursed the area. 
in the 1920s, Connolly Snido purchased the land and turned it into an amusement park. He added a Ferris wheel, swing ride, racetrack, and he opened up the lake for swimming. During the time the park was open, six people died due to drowning or accidents from the rides. In 1966, the park was closed. In 1985, a former employee bought the park with plans to reopen it. It opened for a brief time in 1987, but was closed again in 1988 when an archaeological dig revealed Native American artifacts and human bones that had been buried prior to the arrival of Anglo-European settlers. In total, 13 skeletons, mostly children, were uncovered. The park tried to reopen after the excavation was finished, but only lasted a couple years. It has been closed ever since. But there are rumors that there are still visitors to the park that are no longer alive. In fact, to this day, you can take ghost tours on the sacred Native American land that houses the decaying rides of the park. Now, those are just a few of the more well-known stories of amusement park horrors. I'm going to tell you about a few other incidents that are associated with amusement parks or carnivals that may make your next visit to the park a little more scary. Michelle Ludzinski On May 25, 1991, 23-year-old Michelle Ludzinski and her 5-year-old son, Timothy Wiltsey, went to the South Amboy Elks Club Carnival in Sayersville, New Jersey. They were there a little over an hour before the unthinkable happened. Michelle went to get a drink at a nearby vendor, leaving Timmy alone standing in line to get on a ride. When she came back, he was gone. After an exhausting search of the area by local police, firefighters, volunteers, and tracking dogs, it appears that Timothy disappeared without a trace. The police began looking into who may have taken the child. Almost immediately, his estranged father was ruled out as a suspect since he lived in another state and was in that state when the boy disappeared. Then they looked into Michelle, and this is where the case takes a turn. Michelle told investigators they started the day at a local park before going to the carnival. But when investigators looked into the parking lot she claimed to have parked in, they found it was closed that day. She also claimed that Timmy was wearing bright red that day, and no one at the carnival recalled seeing anyone dressed in bright red clothing. One witness who claimed to have talked to Michelle while she was at the carnival said there was no child with Michelle when she saw her. In fact, the last time anyone saw Timmy was earlier that morning in front of his house by a neighbor. A little more than a week later, Michelle changed her story. She told police two men with a knife had taken Timmy and intimidated her into not saying anything. The very next day, she returned to the police station to recant her story and claimed the boy was taken by two men and a woman. She claimed she knew the woman who took the boy. Her name was Ellen, and she worked as a go-go dancer. And the reason Michelle said she knew her was because she was a customer at the bank that Michelle worked. FBI agents did an extensive search and could not find the woman that was accused of taking the boy, nor could they find anyone that matched her description. Even though she failed two polygraph tests, no evidence could be found to prove Michelle was involved in his disappearance. Months would go by with no leads or sightings of little Timmy. Then, on October 26, 1991, a school teacher was in the marshlands exploring and birdwatching when he came across a small teenage mutant ninja turtle sneaker lying on the ground. 
It was the same type of sneaker that the teacher remembered being worn by the missing boy from the description released by police. He took the shoe to the police department who showed it to Michelle for verification, but she said it was not the same type of sneaker Timmy was wearing. The shoe was put into storage and sent for forensic testing. After a few months, the forensic report came back to the FBI, and on April 6, 1992, the FBI asked the schoolteacher to show them where the sneaker was found. On April 23, 1992, the FBI did a complete search of the area that the shoe was found. During that search, they found a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle balloon, blue blanket, pieces of clothing, the matching sneaker, and a child's partial skeleton. Timmy's identity was confirmed through dental records, and his death was ruled a homicide. It was determined that Timmy never got the chance to go to the carnival, as he was murdered and disposed of before Michelle even went to the carnival and claimed he was kidnapped. On August 6, 2014, Michelle was arrested and charged with murdering her son. On March 16, 2016, her trial began, and after testimony from 68 witnesses, was found guilty of first-degree murder and sentenced to 30 years in state prison without the possibility of parole. Dreamland Park Dreamland Park was a small amusement park located right outside of Reading in south-central Pennsylvania. The park featured a band theater, a roller rink, a midget car racetrack, picnic groves, and a few rides. It was owned and operated by Ralph Kreitz, a local businessman that ran a number of illegal gambling establishments in the 1930s and 40s. Unfortunately, the park was known more for a brutal murder than for the fun that people had at the park. On August 13, 1969, four members of the Pagan Motorcycle Gang met up at the abandoned park, which they often used as a clubhouse and a place to party. The park's land was now owned by the father of one of the members, James Eways. James, Leroy Stoltzfus, Harlan Bailey, and Robert Martinelich met at their usual spot at the park for a weekend of partying. Then, they went looking to get in trouble. They decided to go looking for a girl to kidnap and fulfill their sexual needs. That night, 20-year-old Glenn Eckert and 18-year-old Marilyn Sheckler drove to a scenic overlook in Reading, Pennsylvania and parked the car along Skyline Drive. Suddenly, they were confronted by two of the men from the Pagan Motorcycle Group. The men entered the car and forced Glenn to drive to a train station in Leesport, Pennsylvania. They forced a couple to get out of the car and enter a box truck owned by the motorcycle gang. It was there the gang members met up with two more members of the gang, where they each took turns raping the girl while driving around. They drove back towards their clubhouse at Dreamland Park, but when the truck got close to the entrance of the park, they noticed two police cars blocking it, so they drove past and drove around for a while. Unbeknownst to them, the police were at Dreamland Park to arrest the Pagans for the alleged beating and stabbing of three young men on August 12th. A little later, they tried to go back to the park, but the police cars were still there, so they kept driving. About a quarter of a mile away from the park, the truck pulled over and everyone but James Eways got out of the vehicle. Eways then continued to drive the truck around while Harlan Bailey was handed a phone book by Robert Martinelich and told to make certain phone calls. 
Robert and Leroy Stoltzfus then forced the young couple to walk into the wooded area surrounding the park. It was just inside these woods where Glenn was shot to death and Marilyn was beaten on the head with a rock taken from a stone fence until she died. The men then covered their bodies with nearby rocks and debris and left the scene. Meanwhile, Eways continued to drive around because the police were still blocking the entrance to the park. He came across Bailey who was hitchhiking and picked him up. They couldn't go to the clubhouse, so they went to a nearby gas station. It was there that police arrested them for the beating of the three men from the night before. When they were searched, police found the keys to Eckert's car in Eway's pocket, but at the time did not know the keys were not his. At this time, no one knew the couple was murdered and they were reported missing. Then, on August 19, 1969, police found the abandoned car at the train station in Leesport. Police found multiple items in the car belonging to the young couple, but did not feel there was foul play and assumed the couple had just run away together. Finally, after a week of searching by local and state police, on October 23, 1969, Glenn Eckert's body was discovered. An officer searching the woods noticed a reflection of sunlight off an item on the floor of the woods. When he got closer, he realized the glare was coming off a pair of sunglasses in direct contact with the human skull of a decomposing body. Then, on October 24, 1969, state police found the body of Marilyn Sheckler under a pile of rocks still partially clad in her yellow dress. After Eways and Bailey's agreed to be witnesses for the state, the separate murder trials for Stoltzfus and Martinelich began in 1970. While both claimed to be innocent, they were both found guilty of first-degree murder and sentenced to life in prison. On March 28, 2010, Leroy Stoltzfus died in prison after serving 40 years for the murder of the couple. At age 71, Robert Martinelich is still currently in prison for the murders. Harlan Bailey and James Eways were not charged for murder because they turned state's evidence against the two convicted for the murder, but they were charged for the rape of Sheckler. Unfortunately, due to lack of evidence, the charges were eventually dropped. However, Eways' story does not end here. In the early 1990s, Eways purchased a former chapel that was converted into a home. A local legend about the haunting of the chapel would bring curiosity seekers to the home to see if they could see any ghosts. During the early morning hours of June 15, 1996, five teenagers were driving up and down the street in front of the home shouting threats and obscenities while shining a flashlight into the house as they passed. During their fourth pass of the house, Eways emerged from two pillars in front of the house and aimed his 357 Magnum towards the car. He fired two shots at the car hitting 17-year-old Michael Abate in the head. Michael died at the hospital 20 hours later. Eways was arrested and charged with first and third degree murder, voluntary manslaughter, involuntary manslaughter, aggravated assault, simple assault, and recklessly endangering another person. On October 1st, 1996, Eways was acquitted of first and third degree murder, voluntary manslaughter, and aggravated assault. He was found guilty of involuntary manslaughter and five counts of recklessly endangering another person. 
He was ordered to spend two to five years in prison and 10 years probation. He was released in September of 2003 after spending the maximum five years in prison. James Michael Wright Over the course of 18 days in 2019, three women would go missing with the only link between them. They all had ties to a man that worked for a traveling carnival. The first to go missing was 21-year-old Elizabeth Van Meter. At age 19, Elizabeth left home and joined a traveling carnival where she met James Wright, another carnival worker. She was not reported missing until March 17th. The second woman to go missing was 17-year-old Jocelyn Alsup, whose father also worked for the traveling carnival. She was reported missing on March 8th in Marietta, Georgia. The third woman to go missing was 25-year-old Althena Hobson. Althena disappeared on March 16th from Johnson City, Tennessee. She was reportedly getting picked up on the 16th by a male acquaintance to go to his mobile home to clean it. He claimed he dropped her back off at the home on March 18th. She was reported missing by the Johnson City Police on March 27th. That acquaintance happened to be James Wright. Police contacted James and made him aware that they were told that he was the last person to be seen with Althena. Police got a warrant and during their search of the truck found Althena's cell phone. Then James started telling investigators everything. James told police he shot Elizabeth Van Meter on February 28th after they had gotten into a fight. He proceeded to tell police he accidentally shot Joycelyn Alsup on March 9th after they had sex in the woods near his home. He claimed he was shooting at an animal and accidentally shot Joycelyn instead. He then covered her body with logs next to a creek near his home. Then, he claimed on March 17th, he and Athena were going for a walk near his home when he tripped, not once, but twice, and accidentally shot her both times in the head. He said he loaded her into his truck to take her to the hospital for treatment, but as he was driving, the body rolled out of the back of the truck and rolled into the river. He claimed he could not recover the body, so he left it in the river. When police executed a search warrant on James' property, they found the remains of one body in a shallow grave, while the other was near some logs, which they believed to be Elizabeth and Joycelyn. After searching the river and along its banks, they couldn't find the remains of Althena. In fact, it would take two more years for her remains to be located. Police working on a tip went back to an area near James' house to look in an area that had already been searched and found her remains hidden in a pile of rubble. James has been charged with three counts of capital murder and the prosecution may go after the death penalty. He is currently being held in Southwest Virginia Regional Jail in Abington. Due to the COVID-19 pandemic, his trial has been postponed. Hey there, I'm Tony Palacio, host of There Is Something Out There, a new podcast dedicated to true crime, the mysterious, macabre, unsolved, and unexplained. From the beautiful Pacific Northwest, home of Bigfoot and some of America's most notorious serial killers, I'm going to present to you the world's worst crimes, scariest monsters, strangest stories, tall tales, and totally terrifying testimonials. Join me as we discover that the noises you hear may not just be your imagination. 
there is something out there. You can find me wherever you get your favorite podcasts from, including Stitcher, Spotify, Player FM, Amazon, and Google Podcasts. Thank you. Like what you're hearing so far? Make sure to never miss an episode by clicking the subscribe button now. This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Thank you for your support. Now back to the show. Every day, people all over the world encounter things they cannot explain, things that terrify them, and things that defy logic. But not everything can be rationalized. Not everything has a logical explanation. Not everything can be proven by science. In fact, according to Dr. Ethan Seigel, when it comes to science, proving anything is an impossibility. It is a theory based on a lot of evidence to validate a specific idea over a period of time. He states, nothing in science can ever truly be proven. It's always subject to revision. If that in fact is the case, why are some people so skeptical of things that cannot be explained? Over the years, dozens of plant and animals thought to be extinct have been identified. Just last year alone, California Academy of Science researchers discovered 71 new animal and plant species. So is it out of the realm of possibility that people are seeing cryptids, UFOs, ghosts, and Bigfoot? To those that have seen or experienced these unknown phenomena, it is real and terrifying. Many choose to keep their experiences to themselves for fear of being ridiculed or ostracized. Many are looking for validation from others to ensure that what they saw or experienced was truly real and not just in their head. And then there are those that know what they experienced and want to help others by sharing their experiences. These are their stories. Alright guys, so our first encounter tonight is going to be from Dalton and it's a Wendigo experience. So, my name's Dalton. I was uh, born in Pottsville, Pennsylvania a few years back. I'm not telling you exactly when. But about three or four years ago, I was uh, up in the Welland during the winter with me, my dad, and my brother, and like another friend, I forget his name. So, we were in the middle of the woods. We were like a few miles off from the highway, but we like didn't know where because we were driving around so we're doing donuts this is right after school so it's about three or four o'clock we're doing donuts riding around in snow and we we keep doing that for an hour or two and we start going down this long hill and when we get down there the jeep just stalls it will not start up it won't even turn over we checked the battery. The battery is completely fine. Nothing wrong with it. We we tried everything else. We tried hot wiring it. Nothing would work. So we get out and try to make phone, a phone call. None of our phones had bars. Yet just a couple minutes ago, our phones had bars. We were completely stranded. We had no food with us, no water. I didn't even have a coat in the middle of winter. So we started walking up the hill towards a sort of an open area where the tree line was just like around this kind of circle. And so we keep walking up there and we, we made a fire about 
a little bit close to the entrance to that hill we went into. So about half an hour later, after we've been sitting there, we heard a scream, like a weird gargle that shook the ground, it shook me. It sounded like Satan was yelling at us. So me and my dad started walking towards the uh, tree line where we thought we heard it from because we thought it could have been just some sort of animal that's hurt or something. So we walk up there using our phone flashlights. It's now pretty much pitch black out. And I, we get a couple hundred feet into the tree line as we're looking around. My dad was like, oh, whatever. So he started walking back to the fire. I, I keep looking around and I, I get a bar while I'm there. So I text my mom. She don't pick us up and I sent her our location through Messenger. While I was doing that, I started hearing like heavy footsteps of like just something that was like taller than like at least seven feet. This thing was huge. I knew it. And I look up and I see the thing's fucking skull staring at me from behind a tree about 50, 60 feet away. I could see its weird legs standing up, like it's standing up on its hind legs. I could see its like bony hands holding onto the tree and staring at me. I was entranced. I could not move. I was staring for God knows how long. It felt like forever. What snapped me out of it was that my dad yelled for me. And I was like, what? And I, I looked back real quick to see what he wanted. I looked back and the thing, I heard it run off. But I, I could tell it was still there. There was, it, it was still around us, but I didn't wear out. I ran back to the fire. I shook and completely upset. My dad asked me what it was. But I, I just said I seen a bear or something and so about an hour later my mom texted us back because for some reason we still had bars and she told us that she was there and how to get back off the road go back get back to the highway and she sent us her location turns out we were only like only less than a mile off the highway that we came into so we start walking back that way and as we were about to exit I and like get into the car I swear I could see the thing the window staring at us as we drove off and the next day my dad started telling us that he started seeing black figures in his hallway coming at him like crawling through his ho his hallway in his apartment the next night he was dead that's my story so you you believe that it was a wendigo that you it was encountered definitely a wendigo it had the deer skull with the antlers sort of the body standing on hind legs like it with the hands and the arms it was a wendigo i know for a fact 
Now, do you, do you know if that area that that you were in has any anyone else seen sightings of that, or has there been weird things that happen in that area? Um, I don't know other people's stories, but I do know my family has seen certain things around there, like weird things. Um, every time we go by there, we hear the yell of it every single time. Did you out fail? Did you take notice to like? Uh, did it get like super quiet in the woods? Or, I mean, you know, a lot of people say as they're walking through the woods, there's not a sound. And then all of a yeah, sudden. Was, it kind of felt like the air was like sucked around. Like, you know how it went in space? You can't like hear something echo. That's kind of what happened. And the, like, the only thing that I heard at all was like birds flying away. That's it. Hmm. That's very interesting. Well, I'm sorry to hear about your dad. Um, yeah, it's no problem. It's, you know, I, I want to get this story out here. I want to, I want people to hear it and know. Now, do you know if a lot of times the Wendigos are associated with uh, Native Americans? Is mm-hmm. is there areas around there that has been known to have been inhabited by the Native Americans? There is a graveyard around there, a Native American graveyard, um, about a mile away from those woods. All right, well, it was a very interesting story, and I appreciate you willing your willingness to, you know, share your experience with us. Yeah, no problem. It's just something I thought I would do because, you know, I want to get it out there. We'll definitely do that for you. Thanks for sharing. Yeah. Our next experience is from Dakota. He witnesses something very strange in the woods. I'll let him explain. Hey, this is Dakota. I'm from Pennsylvania. Um, A number of years ago, I think back in 2011 or 2012, I went hunting um, in the woods, western Pennsylvania. And I was down near the bottom of a mountain, um, sort of near a, a creek. And I was kind of waiting for deer, like any sign of movement that I could hear Um, and it was a pretty quiet day you didn't really hear much of anything so a couple of hours in I heard some running um, up over the hill behind me so I turn around and kind of looked in that direction uh, expecting to see maybe some deer running through Um, but instead I saw three incredibly tall, shadowy humanoid figures. Um, If I had to guess, maybe between six and ten feet tall, I'm not really sure. Um, They weren't incredibly far away from me, but they weren't up close either. And there were three of them. They didn't really have any features that I could see from that distance. They pretty much just looked like plain black figures with like very tall and thin uh, long limbs Um, and they were running incredibly fast on this really steep slope uh, kind of running horizontally across the hill and I watched them for a few seconds before they disappeared up over the hill and that's my experience now when you say uh they weren't that far away from you it was like 
the darkness of them? Was it like like pitch black? Like you couldn't really see anything, any features on it because of that? Or was it because... Yeah. Okay. Yeah, they were pitch black. Like not dark brown like you would see a normal animal. Like they just didn't really have any kind of light hitting them or anything. And you said they were running... They were on a ridge, basically running horizontally on the ridge itself. Was it on top of the ridge? Was it like... Was it like a hill that they were on that that it was like something that you wouldn't have been able to do? It was a really steep hill. And I think like if I tried to do that, you know, I might roll an ankle or, you know, fall. I definitely wouldn't be able to run that quickly over that terrain. I'm not exactly sure what you saw there. That's very interesting. (laughs) I'm not sure either. (laughs) So how did it make you feel? I mean, obviously you were scared. Did did you feel threatened at all? Or was it just like a holy crap, what is that type uh, of feeling? I didn't I didn't really feel threatened. Um, they didn't really show any kind of sign of aggression or anything. I'm not, not even sure they knew I was there. Um, so I didn't feel too alarmed. It was just more like, what the hell was that? <laughs> I can imagine. All right. Well, thank you very much for sharing your experience with us. You're welcome. Thank you for letting me on your show. Not a problem. All right, guys. So for those of you that have listened to the first episode, you'll know that my house has had quite a bit of experience in it, but things have kind of settled down. We haven't had any issues for years, but a few weeks ago, things started back up again. About a month ago, my son was home, still home from college, and uh, we were getting ready to leave for work in the morning. Now, him and I were getting up super early to go into work, and my wife and the dogs were here at the house. We were just getting ready to walk into the living room to walk out the front door when there was a crash. Couldn't tell where it was from. My son actually thought it was from my bedroom, but I was standing in the hallway basically beside the bedroom and to me it sounded like it was either above me or below me but above me didn't make sense because I didn't hear anything hit the floor above me so I was thinking it was more downstairs either way um, to me what I had heard was a crash and something sliding across the floor whether it was glass breaking and, and shrapnel or there was a box of Something that when it hit the floor, the contact contents fell out. So I grabbed my phone, flipped the flashlight on it. Um, I walk into our bedroom. So I actually got our big flashlight, looked around the bedroom, didn't see anything. The wife was still asleep. The dogs were still asleep. So I walked out of the bedroom, went downstairs, walked all through the basement, didn't see anything. Nothing was out of place. So I just kind of chalked it up as something fell. Don't know what it is. So the very next day, uh, my son and I, same routine, get up, go to work. We're at work for maybe an hour when my son walks up to me and says, Dad, can you check the ring camera? And I'm like, why? What's going on? He said, well, Mom just texted me and asked if I was still home. I'm like, okay. So I'm looking back through the ring camera and I don't notice or see anything. So I text my wife and I say, hey, is everything okay? Right away, I get a response. Yeah, I just thought I heard something. So I said, well, 
like, what did you hear? Well, my phone rings. I pick it up and it's her. And she says, well, I heard someone walk up the steps from the basement, open the door, shut the basement door, walk through the living room, walk over to the hallway that leads upstairs, open the door, shut the door, walk up the steps. I'm like, okay. I said, well, was it like a loud booming walking, like, you know, just a normal walk? Or did it sound like someone was creeping through the house? She said, no, it sounded like someone was creeping through the house. I said, okay, well, that's the reason I showed you how to use the pistol. Get the pistol, you know, chamber around, and just go see if you see anything or see anybody. She goes, well, I really don't feel comfortable doing that by myself. So I said, okay. I said, uh, I'm on my way home. Just stay in one room until I get there. So the whole way I'm driving home and the wife's on the phone with me and I'm talking to her and I asked her, you know, what, what did the dogs do? She said, dogs didn't do anything. Now to me, if there was a person in the house, the dogs go ballistic. They go ballistic. If someone's walking on the sidewalk in front of the house. So she said, the dogs didn't do anything. They acted normal. I said, okay. So I pull in in front of the house when I, when I finally get there every lights on in the in the, the downstairs of the house my wife had every single light on in every room i walk in the pistol's laying there beside her i grab the pistol she didn't even have it chambered chambered around grabbed the flashlight started walking through the house started in the basement walked through the basement walked upstairs hit every room then walked up into my kids bedrooms which is in the upstairs of the house and walked through all that nothing nothing out of place nobody there nothing so uh i kind of put it in my mind that yeah something's back in the house again and it's letting us know it's here so fast forward about two weeks ago my wife and i are sitting on the sofa watching tv um we have a puppy that's like eight months old and i have a a, a dog that's nine years old so we're sitting there watching TV and all of a sudden there's a boom upstairs, like, like something just fell over. So I look at my wife and she looks at me and all of a sudden our puppy gets up, walks over to the door, puts his nose on the door and looks up at it. Like he thought my son was upstairs. Who's now back in school out in Pittsburgh. So, uh, he knew, he, he knew something was going on. They didn't freak out or anything, but it, it got his attention. So just this past weekend, my wife and I babysat our daughter's friend's kids. So they have a, a little girl who's four years old, and they also have a baby who's like eight months old. So the baby was getting fussy. My wife said, all right, well, I'm going to take him back on the bed, and I'm going to change him. So the little girl went back in the bedroom with him. The dogs all followed. I'm like, you know what? I'm going to go back. So I walked back as well. And uh, the baby was starting to fuss. So I just kind of walked up to him and, and made baby noises like, you know, the goo goo ga ga stuff just to try to get his attention. And I started doing this. After the third time. Now, granted, we're in our bedroom. And our kitchen is down the hallway to the right. And our dining room is down the hallway to the left. 
out of nowhere, after I do, there was an answer in one of those rooms. I don't know which one, but it mocked me. It went, I went, what the fuck was that? Had no clue. It just came out of me. It wasn't that I was scared. It startled me because I've never had anything respond to me and mock me. So that kind of freaked me out. I looked at my wife. She heard it. I really didn't look towards the little girl because I didn't want her to know that something kind of odd happened. But I looked at my wife and I'm like, did you hear that? She goes, shut up. I don't want to talk about it. Just let it go. She was afraid of, of scaring the little girl. So I turned around and I walked out into the dining room, walked into the, into the kitchen. Everything was normal. Um, walked back into the bedroom and the little girl looks at me and she goes, what? Did you see something? I'm like, no, I didn't see anything. So I don't know what that was. Something mocked me that day. The very next day I went back out. I tried to recreate it because here's what I noticed. First thing in the dining room, my wife's birthday was that week. So there was a Mylar balloon hanging on the ceiling. And I thought, well, maybe the vibrations of me doing that just vibrated that to where it kind of recreated the sound. I tried it. It didn't do it. In the kitchen, I found that my, my Bluetooth speaker was on, but it wasn't connected to anything because I had been listening through my phone earlier to a YouTube video and my phone was turned off. So I went out there and I made the noises too, just to see if it would pick something up. And again, it didn't. So I don't know what happened, but it, it freaked me out. And that was just last weekend. So quite a few things have started to heat up a little bit again. We'll see, uh, see if things happen. And if they do, I'll let you guys know. All right. Thanks for listening. Well, that's it for this week's episode of the Stuff of Nightmares podcast. Thanks for listening. If you would like to find out more about today's topic, you can check out our sources in the show notes on Facebook and our website at www.thestuffofnightmares.show. Like, share, and follow us on Facebook, as well as subscribe and give us a positive review on your favorite podcast app or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you have an experience that you would like to share with the show, you can either email me to admin at thestuffofnightmarespodcast.show or message me through Facebook. I am your host, Rick Ness. I will see you next episode where I hope to find out what keeps you up at night.